Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. You see, it's not demanding that if somebody pokes out your eye that, you know, you take them to court and have them poke out their eye. It doesn't really bring yours back anyway. Or if they knock out your tooth, well, you can't knock theirs out because you're not to retaliate. But you really, if you think through it, let's take them to court and have their tooth knocked out. Well, what if yours was perfect and theirs was a cavity and now you just save them a dental bill in the first place? heard them as slogans, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, go the extra mile. The problem with slogans is they've been used out of context and the original meaning has been altered. In Pastor Sam's message, Jesus' most misunderstood teaching, we learn the correct context. Let's listen in. You want to find your way to Matthew 5, picking up at verse 38. The title of our message is going to be um, Jesus' Most Misunderstood teaching. We're only looking at a few verses together today and we're going to see some things that are actually pretty familiar to us, but they presented a real problem in the first century and they continue to present a problem here in the 21st century. We're going to be considering, well, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm sure many of you, if not most of you, have heard the expression, it comes out of the Bible. We're also going to be looking at some things like turn the other cheek. If you've wondered, it comes out of this passage. How about the kind of guy who'd give you the shirt off his own back? That's here as well. And then um, go the extra mile. We'll be considering that in its historical context and, and seeing how it applies to things today, to our situations today. Read with me there in verse 38 of Matthew 5. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. This first statement of Jesus, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, had caused a lot of confusion, really from the time it was first uttered, but by Jesus' day, it was all out of control. Those who were teachers of the law had misunderstood, and we're applying this to our personal interaction with one another, when in fact it was not meant to be personal license to retaliate, but, but it was civil law. It was all about making sure that things were right before those who had sinned against others and, and the judges they ultimately would face. It first comes to us in Exodus chapter 21. The context actually was the death penalty itself. And so if you get the whole passage that is quoted here, it says life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The idea being that God was instituting his system of justice, and he wanted to make sure that it would be equitable, that it would be objective, that it would be, well, that it would work for all. And so Exodus, and it's in chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, lays out the principle. Now, the death penalty itself, and, and it's a side note for us today, but it's directly related to the, the passage at hand. It was instituted to protect society from those who were dangerous predators, those who would so 
undervalue another's life, that they would take it. And so for a murderer, God instituted the death penalty. For somebody who was guilty of killing, but he didn't intend to do it, he created cities of refuge. It's there in the passage if you go back later and study. And those cities were where you could flee to so that the avenger didn't get to you and, and wipe you out. You could go and say, hey, it was self-defense or it was an accident, and you would be protected there. Now, if you were guilty of first-degree murder and you fled to a city of refuge, they'd just kick you out, and you would, in fact, suffer the penalty for your sin. The death penalty was given to protect society from its most dangerous predators, and it was given for murder, for rape, for kidnapping, and a variety of other sins against man. Why? Because man was made in the image of God, and when you sin against man, you're sinning against God. So they had it right. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But they had misunderstood why that was said and, and what God was trying to accomplish as a result. When you get into the book of Leviticus, first in Exodus 21, then Leviticus 24, he adds a fracture for a fracture. So, you know, in case you couldn't put it all together, he says, hey, fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth and such. Again, affirming the death penalty, again, affirming the cities of refuge. Then in Deuteronomy 19, 21, it was life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Now, what he's going to get at is that there was to be no personal revenge. And that's something that we've got to learn as believers, that if we are going to walk with Jesus and be like Jesus, we're not going to be able to retaliate against people that, well, that offend us, that hurt us, that wound us. But there is more here than meets the eye. Let's go back for a moment to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Three things. First, it was given to judges, not individuals. It was civil law, not personal liberty. It was given to judges so there would be objectivity. You see, I have a real hard time when someone wounds me personally and even a more difficult time if they wound someone in my family to, to just sort of say, well, I can be objective in this whole thing. I really can't. Man, when somebody hurts someone I love, I have trouble thinking through that and responding in a godly way. So God says, I don't want you to respond. That's what I've created the police for. That's why the laws are there. That's why the police are there. That's why the courts are there. That's why the prisons are there. So God calls us to just trust the legal system. Now, I don't want to hear any snickers because we have lawyers in our midst. And I'm not going to tell any lawyer jokes because we have lawyers in our midst. Although they really can do it with each other. And there's some great lawyer jokes, I, I tell you. But the bottom line is, if you think, listen, I've worked the legal system and it doesn't always work out. Well, then you just need to trust the Lord. He says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. God will make sure that every wrong is righted, that everything will be as it should be ultimately. But your problem and my problem is we can only see this much, especially when our head is spinning. And God is looking over the whole scene and saying, I can turn this for good. I can do something wonderful in your life, in your family, in that life, those lives, those families. And so he tells us not to get even ourselves. It was given to judges, not individuals. Secondly, it was equal justice for all. It was 
a standard for impartiality. That means if you were wealthy and could afford a great lawyer, it really shouldn't make any difference. Everyone, if they stood before an objective, impartial judge, should have had opportunity for a fail, a fair, excuse me, dispossession of their, of their um, situation. The third thing that it brings us to is there was a limitation on punishment. And a lot of people have missed this. You see, it's not demanding that if somebody pokes out your eye that, you know, you take them to court and have them poke out their eye. It doesn't really bring yours back anyway. Or if they knock out your tooth, well, you can't knock theirs out because you're not to retaliate. But you really, if you think through it, let's take them to court and have their tooth knocked out. Well, what if yours was perfect and theirs was a cavity and now you just save them a dental bill in the first place? There are inherent problems and in, in taking this too literally. So what's he trying to say? He's saying, look, I have judges and I have a system and I don't want you to retaliate. I don't want you to get caught up in it. Why? That's the beginning of feuds in the family and feuds in the tribe and feuds in the culture. That's the beginning of wars and conflicts that so many people are devastated by. And so here's the deal. It was a limitation on punishment. If you had knocked out someone's tooth, the worst that could happen to you would be your tooth would be knocked out. Now, this was so necessary in the pagan environment that Jesus was uh, really uh, sharing these things in, in the Roman Empire. But not just that. As far back as the book of Genesis, there's a story there of, of a gal named Diana. And, and this pagan guy named Shechem sees her and he's attracted to her. And, and rather than going to her father and saying, hey, I'd like your daughter's hand in marriage, he rapes her. And then he decides, man, I really do love this gal. And uh, rape, by the way, not really a way to show your affection, obviously. So he then goes to her father and, and says, I want to marry your daughter. Well, dad doesn't really do anything about the situation. And later when Simeon and Levi hear about it, they are absolutely fuming. They plot to get even. Now, the sin was rape. It would have been punishable under their laws by death. But what they do goes so far beyond God's law. They go to the people, Shechem's people, his father being the king, and they say, listen, we have no problem intermarrying with you. And, and you know, we've got a lot of goods and a lot of gals and we can all get together, but it's not right for us to intermarry with people who are uncircumcised. So you need to first be circumcised. Well, out of greed, not a desire to convert or to walk with the Lord, but out of greed, looking at all that these guys had, and, and no doubt the beauty of their women, these guys say, let's go for it. Let's go ahead and circumcise ourselves, and they did. And while they were suffering and recuperating, Simeon and Levi come into the camp and kill every single man in the camp. They take the women and the children prisoner, make them servants, take all of the goods of the city. And, and here's the point. These guys needed God's law as much as the pagans, as much as the heathens. Why? Whenever you take the law into your own hands, whenever you have a family or a clan or, or vigilante mentality, you're going to go way overboard. You're not going to get even or do right. So God says, don't even go there. Don't even start down that road. He says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you... Jesus is now going to clarify and straighten out where they'd gotten confused. And here's some real irony. People read what Jesus goes on to say and are equally confused in our day. Not only don't they get what he was straightening out, but now they have added confusion. 
Jesus says, first of all, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, not to resist an evil person. This is the same word resist that James and Peter used to say we must, in fact, resist the devil. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're to resist him steadfastly in the faith. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And of course, we're to resist all evil or all desire to do evil. And so what's he saying? Not to resist an evil person. He gives us an illustration, an example, so we can really put this together. Whoever slaps you on one cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. Now, I'll tell you how this passage has been misused, misunderstood, and abused. There are those who've gotten caught up in um, violent relationships, abusive relationships. And because they think, well, the Bible says turn the other cheek, they allow themselves to be abused. You need to know that was never Jesus' intention when he shared these things. And if you're living in an abusive relationship or you have friends or family who are living in an abusive relationship, you need to get out of yours. You need to counsel them to get out of theirs. Now, I'm not saying that if you're married and your spouse is abusive, that you should divorce your spouse. And if you have any confusion in this issue, get the tape of last week because it will clear all that up for you. What I am saying is no one should live under a roof where they aren't safe. It's not right for you. It's not right for children if they're in the picture. It's not right for the person who's abusive. You move out, you get counseling, you get help. The goal, by the way, would always be restoration. It's not just to get away from the situation, but to force some mediation and say, listen, I want to be with you, I care for you, I love you, but I will not let myself be put in a position where I am abused, abused by you. And if you think that he's saying, hey, turn the other cheek means, you know, they bash you in with one and then, you know, you just turn and they bash you with the others. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's dealing more in the realm of insult. And if you remember those movies where you got the little sort of effeminate French guys and they take off their glove and they kind of do this deal, you know, they choose the other guy off pistols at 40 paces or, or whatever it's going to be, sword fighting. It, it wasn't so much a, a slap to inflict injury, but to inflict insult. That's what it was about. And Jesus is literally telling us that when we're insulted, when we're assaulted, verbally at least, just to let it go, just to blow it off, just to turn the other cheek. We see Jesus himself doing this regularly. For they came and said, friend of sinners. By the way, I wouldn't mind at all if that was on my tombstone, you know, if the Lord delays his coming and I actually die. I'd be happy to have a friend of sinners on my tombstone. I'd be happy to be known as that. But when they called Jesus that, they weren't really saying, yeah, he's a good guy and gracious to sinners. No, they were using it in a derogatory way. Their suggestion is you're like the people you hang with. They said, hey, he hangs with harlots, wine bibbers, gluttons. The suggestion, he was immoral, that, that he himself was a glutton and, and a drunkard. And we know none of those things could be true. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin, we read of our Lord. So, so they accuse him falsely and he just lets it go. He doesn't even worry about it. Now, there are times, though, where you have to stand up. And here's the exception. At one point in John's gospel, we're told that in the midst of a rather heated discussion between Jesus and some of his religious enemies, they said, we weren't born of fornication. The implications were clear. They were suggesting he was. 
They denied the reality, of course, of his virgin birth. They, they had the gossip and the rumors about his mom and Joseph or whoever sleeping together prior to Jesus' birth. So when they say, we weren't born of fornication, Jesus doesn't really let that go. It's the one time, at least that I see in the Gospels, where he didn't exactly turn the other cheek. He said, no, you're of your father, the devil. I, I like that personally. I, he, he just said, no, you've crossed the line here. Why? It wasn't just an assault on him. It was an assault on his mother's character. It was assault on the, the spirit of God who made possible the miraculous birth. It was blasphemy, if you will, of the Holy Spirit to, to attribute anything about Jesus to an unholy spirit or an ungodly work. And so he says, I'm not going to let that go. But for the most part, we see Jesus turning the other cheek, just letting it go by. Why? He didn't come to condemn. It would have been easy for him. Hey, let's face it. If we hang out together, it is so easy for me to see your sin and for you to see mine. Some people think they have a special gift of noticing other people's sin. Guess what? Everybody can see that stuff. It doesn't take any special gift. The gift is trying to reconcile sinners to the Lord, trying to do good by those who are in sin and, and ensnared by sin. That's what the gift is. But we all see sin in one another. And so, like Jesus did, when we are accosted, when we are spoken evil of, we just want to let it go. Literally, turn the other cheek. Don't let it get to you. Don't retaliate. Don't get in the middle of it. Why? It's not how he wants to work in and through us. He's got a way to deal with it all. And he's promised to do that. Vengeance, he says, is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Well, so we are to be those who don't resist, but... Hey, when insulted, when these things go down, we just turn the other cheek. We just let it go. Peter tells us that we are not to suffer as evildoers, but if we suffer according to the will of God, if we suffer because of the word of God, that we're simply to entrust ourselves unto him as unto a faithful creator. We're to trust that Romans 8.28 is true. That God will turn all this around. That he'll make it all work together for good. How does he do it? You've got to obey him to find out. You've got to let him take care of it. And then you'll see. He also says if someone wants to sue you there in verse 40. And take away your tunic. Let him have your cloak also. Now, now this is interesting. Because see the law said an eye for an eye. And he says I don't want you to retaliate. I don't want an eye for an eye out of you. And then the law said that, well, the law actually said they could sue and they could take your tunic, but they couldn't take your outer garment. That was for the poor's protection from the elements and all that they would face. And so he says, I don't want you to think in terms of the law. I want you to think in terms of love. We'll see that so clearly as we get into our next study, the most difficult commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But, but for our purposes today... He says, listen, if they sue you and take your tunic, that was the inner garment, that, that unwoven garment or that garment that was woven, but just one piece that everyone wore close to their body. Even poor people usually had a couple of those, one for wash day and, you know, one for to wear. But the outer garment, the law said, don't, they, they can't take it from you. He's saying, listen, if they sue you for the inner garment, just say you got the outer garment too. Why? Saying, then you won't even be in court. But, but they're going to take everything I have. They're going to take advantage of me. Jesus says, don't sweat that. Just trust me. It'll all work out. How? 
God says he'll make it all work out. We'll see as we get into the next chapters and verses that he talks about his care and provision in all of nature. But, but here again, if they sue you for this, give them that as well. Give them more than they're asking. Don't fight for your rights. Don't try to prove that that ain't going to happen to you. He just says, give them more than they're asking. Now, Paul builds on this whole idea when he writes to the church at Corinth because it was a very gifted but very carnal church. And he says, man, you guys shame each other and you shame the Lord because you drag your your offenses before the pagan judges. He says, isn't there a wise man among you that could resolve these conflicts, that could deal with these issues? And he's saying, if you got a family problem, handle it in the family. And the church is a family. If you got a problem with someone in the church, you handle it within the church. You don't go outside to the courts and, and drag your dirty laundry and others' dirty laundry out before the pagan and the heathen. Why? It just gives them more fuel to blaspheme the Lord and to, to see you as a hypocrite. So he says, it's better to be taken advantage of. It's better to be, be thought a fool. And, and, and listen, just let it go, he's saying. Why? The Lord will repay. The Lord will take care of you and take care of the one who takes advantage of you. Then he says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. This was actually a part of Roman law at that time. So, so Jesus is not only going back to the Old Testament and building on it and clarifying it. He's saying, listen, you know how it is. You know how it goes. At that time, the Romans were ruling the roost. And any Roman soldier or Roman officer could come up to you at any time and say, look, I'm tired. You carry my gear. The law said you had to carry it for a mile. Or if he wanted to send a message, you had to go a mile with that message. Now Jesus is saying, the law says one mile, but I'm saying go an extra mile, go the extra mile. Why? Well, it does two or three things. First of all, for you personally, for me personally, it keeps us from grumbling and complaining about the law. Why? Well, if I'm only going to go the mile, I just have a tendency personally to murmur and complain a little. I don't like to be pushed around more than any more than you guys do. I don't like to be bossed around any more than you guys do. And I certainly don't like people who are in need of help trying to, you know, force the issue. I'll never forget years and years ago when this church was very young and very small and we were very poor. I had a guy call me up and say he wanted some clothes. And I said, come on down. We don't have a clothes closet, but I'll walk you down and get you some stuff. So he shows up at the church and I tell him Salvation Army is just a few blocks away. We'll go down together. And he looks at me and says, Salvation Army, I'm not wearing that stuff. We're going and getting some new clothes. And I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, well, you're a Christian and the Bible says you've got to give. We'll see it in a minute. Give to him who asks, you know, and whoever wants to borrow, give to him. Here's the problem, though. We were really poor. Our family was poor. Our church was poor. My own boys were wearing clothes from Salvation Army. Now, I'm not going to give this leech clothes that are, you know, nicer than the clothes my kids were wearing. And so I just said, you're not getting anything from me. And he started swearing and telling me how the Bible said I had to do it. I'm like, make me. Try it, you know. It's not going to happen. And he's like, you've got to do it. I'm like, you got the wrong guy. Go down the road. And I absolutely refuse. Now, i got to admit to you. Well, I think all of you can appreciate that story. And you think, yeah, that's right on. Unfortunately, it's unbiblical. I really should have, if I was in a place, given him what he was asking, not just what I was willing to give. But that was a long time ago, and I was very immature in those days. And as you can tell, I've grown a lot. And so, well, 
I wouldn't press the issue though. But in any case, he says, if they compel you to go a mile, go the extra mile. Not only won't you be grumbling and complaining on the way, but you will earn an opportunity to witness. Why? When he says, look, I know the law says you got to take this stuff a mile, but I don't get the extra mile thing at all. Well, you see, I serve this Lord who is so merciful and so gracious and so giving and so caring that I just want to be like that to you. I want you to know experientially what I've found in Jesus experientially, mercy and grace. Learning the difference between the letter of the law and the heart behind it is really a major part of our maturity in Christ. The more we get to know the Lord, the more we understand what his heart truly is for us and for all his children, even the ones who do not know or acknowledge him yet. Join us next time as we conclude this message and we learn to understand what so many have misunderstood. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down The Calvary Road. And your grace.